0: Alvin, yo! We are here with Alvin Law in Studio Nine, uh, the uh, the podcast room that we hang out in. If you, if you, I wish you could see it in here, but Alvin, I feel like we're in either a refrigerator, an operating room, or a 1950s diner. That's what, what it, it is. is. It's
1: the diner. Yeah. No, the kitchen and the diner.
0: Yeah, kitchen. Yeah, it's like black and white tile. and yeah. It's uh, kind of checkerboard. Anyway, uh, Alvin, thanks a lot for, for hanging out. It's mine. Um, I wanted pleasure, to man. I wanted to have a conversation with you and, and chat with you and, and talk about. Kind of like life, before, now, later. Okay. Um, so take, take, us back to, um, take us back to you, uh, how you ended up being in New York and Saskatchewan with your family.
1: So in the early 60s, I think I've said these words more times than any words I've said out loud. Um, I was born a thalidomide baby. And uh, that's always important to say, not because being born with on arms is the most integral part of this story. It's a huge part of my story, but the thalidomide angle is important and why I bring it up even after all these years is even uh, today it's more important because a lot of the kids don't understand the stigma. Right. So when I tell people that my birth family gave me up at five days of age, most people can't believe that, but it makes perfect sense if you apply the thalidomide connection because almost every baby that was born deformed in those days was given no chance at any success in their life. So much so that my birth family decided that they were not even going to keep me. So that's what happened, and I was adopted, that's the story of my foster parents, Hilden and Jack Law, not only taught me to use my feet uh, as hands, and one more time, that's not unique. In the internet era, we see all kinds of media videos of people using their feet. That is exactly my point. I'm not the only one, right. but I am one of the ones that decided to make a career out of it.
0: Right, right. I mean, of those uh, thalidomide babies, how many, how many babies were there in Canada?
1: 132 originally were born in Canada, there's 94 left. Now the numbers have been a little tricky to figure out because a lot of what happened in those days People were so embarrassed, right? They didn't even bother connecting the dots. They didn't contact doctors They didn't get listed on registries God there there could have been ten times that number But what's interesting is there's babies born with missing limbs or deformed limbs even in this modern era It doesn't have to be drugs. It's just a body Thing a chemistry within a a mother's womb that affects the, the child's limb development uh, sometimes it can result in babies being born with a couple of missing fingers. Uh, in my case, my arms didn't grow at all. So that's what my, my story was.
0: All right. And then you go, so you're, 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 you get adopted. Uh, you go to school. What is your earliest memory, um, your school memory, earliest school being you in, in school? You know, it's, it's Stu, that's
1: such, such a great question because I think the people, first of all, when they find out I'm a speaker and they haven't heard me yet and they don't know anything about me, they think it's going to be a bummer. Right. And then the second thing they find out when they find out it's not a bummer, they keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak, about where do I drop the bombshell about how crappy my life was? Well, my life was never crappy. Yeah, Sorry really to afraid. disappoint.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's true. It's so funny. I, I, it was, my first speaker I ever saw in my whole life was you. Yeah. So this says how old Alvin is. Yeah. Really. And how old I am. Yeah. So, and I remember <laughs> one of the things you said the first time you ever, I ever heard you speak, um, and you said, uh, for those of you who are staring at me right now, you notice I have no arms, and for those who see me for a second time, they still haven't grown yet. <laughs> That's that what I said? said. Yeah. So, and That's I remember funny. that it was like your opening line. That's and I, funny. You killed right at the top. It was great. Yeah. And uh, and I, I remember the other moment I remember of your of your program <laughs> was one time we were at, a, at a, an event together, and you were speaking, and I was sitting behind uh, some students in the audience, and you were telling the story where uh, you could maybe tell the story about having a Big Mac. <laughs> Can you tell that story?
1: Yeah. Um, when I was going through my wicked teen years, I was becoming very, very self-conscious. And the Big Mac actually became the code hamburger for giving something a bit of a generic personality. But in fact, it was an A&W hamburger. Okay. And why that is important to me is A&W was my personal favorite restaurant growing up. Okay. Guess why? Because it's where my dad took me when I'd have a bad day. Okay. So we'd go every now and then, just dad and I, we'd do dad-kid talk, and we'd go to A&W. It was like, how about we go to A&W? You know that thing? We, yeah. How about we go to Dairy yeah. Queen? How about we go to wherever? Yeah. Not to drop names of stores here.
0: We're being sponsored by all of them, so it's okay.
1: And Yorkton had only an a
0: As all small towns do.
1: That's right. So that's where we went. But the story is that I was having a difficult time adjusting to being Alvin, and Dad kept taking me out knowing that hiding me at home would be counterproductive. So I'm having this burger and I've got it squished between my big toe and my second toe on my right foot if you want to try to picture that and when I say squished I literally had to squish the burger you, down, did you, did you I just slam it. At? I slam on it, yeah. So I use the Big Mac as a lovely angle on the story because it's funnier, yeah. Because w has kind of got boring sauce, Big Macs have yeah. Big Mac sauce, yeah. That Double stuff, yeah. Oh, that. it just it's it's it rolls down between your toes, and you gotta yeah. lick your toes off. Yeah, this is really a time for video, huh? Yeah. Uh, you gotta lick your toes off when you're done. Well, let's just show see, mm. and that is one of my favorite speaking moments because the audience at that moment always goes, Oh. And that's exactly what that guy did that day. And so he stares at you. He stares. But and he not only that, he, got, he looked like he was going to puke. He just looked like he was going to throw up. It was so one of those defining moments. And what's interesting is I wanted to do something. Yeah. My dad was a boxer. I wanted my dad to go over there and you know, smack him a couple of times. Right. I wanted to go over there and kick him. But my dad was a boxer and didn't believe in violence. So instead of doing anything, I went home and felt sorry for myself. But what was most fascinating is what happened next. It's why these stories show up in my speech, frankly, Stu, and you know me more than most people do. It's not that I don't have stories, I've got too many. But this story was literally a defining moment where my dad realized that this was gonna be a problem. So he came into my room and we sat and talked and I was really upset and dad presented me with two alternatives. Option A, stay home for the rest of my life. I can live in the basement as he put it, literally, this was my dad's words, you know, there's a bathroom down here, we can, uh, you know, throw you down toast every couple of days so you don't starve, and you'll never have to leave the house again. And I went, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And dad said, yes, welcome to the world. You're going to meet stupid people for the rest of your life. So you can either avoid them or you can teach them. So your choice. And that's exactly how a lot of my stories started, was understanding it's not about Alvin, but it's about helping other people Understand that they've all got their own challenges and how we cope with them is personal, but it is also universal You can either hide or you can run and fight,
0: you know, did you ever think your story of you know? The the adoption you know the thalidomide All the things you went through was that ever was that a weight on you before you started telling the story Did that was that something you carried around with you at all?
1: (sighs) That's a really interesting question. I think what I felt was that I had um, a lot of of weight that's a great word but the weight made me strong so while i was dealing with that weight i think what i just started realizing was i had something special inside of me that people were starting to recognize still i didn't know any of this until i left home i was in the middle of living in the best world i could have ever had in small town yorkton saskatchewan but i totally took it for granted right and it was fascinating to go back to yorkton after i'd been away for a few years and have most of my school chums say, you were a total idiot. Why didn't you just lighten up a little bit? We didn't hate you. I said, yeah, but you never invited me to parties. Well, because you were a tool. We didn't want to hang out with you. It was your attitude. I had a terrible attitude. I was all these things I'd done and all these things I'd accomplished. But I hadn't yet learned how to lighten up a little bit. Right. How to be fun. How to have fun. So is
0: that what you go back and tell yourself? Like as I a- did,
1: Totally. I I said, "You got to lighten up, man. There's too many. You're you're missing out on too many golden opportunities." And I'm not talking partying, you know, howling at the moon. Although I've done that a couple of times, but just embracing the fact that I was able to. You know what I figured out a long time ago. I'm I'm not sure if you've ever heard this one, Stu. Somebody pointed out to me in college when I was in broadcasting school in 1979 that I had the world's best filter. Either people were comfortable with me or they weren't, and the ones that weren't. I didn't have to worry about. They weren't in my life. But the ones that were, I kind of think this is a pretty good assumption, were better people. So when you're hanging out with better people, you become a better people, and therefore the cycle just continues to, you know. So when I learned this, then I said, you know what, that's going to be my operating procedure for the rest of my life. I'm going to try to be the best person I can. The ironic part about it is that um, (laughs) I've got a real life too. And I think that's what a lot of people forget about speakers, yeah, you know.
0: 100%. They think it's just a stage
1: thing. Yeah. It's what's on stage. So I wish you could meet my friends. Yeah. The ones you know, the ones you've never even met. Although ironically, I'm here at this wonderful event and most of the people that I love in the world are here as speakers. Right. Yeah, that you just you pull together a group, man. Yeah. But that's what I love about these events. Not the kids per se. They're awesome. But it's being in the mix of a bunch of people that are helping kids be better.
0: Right, right. So let's go back to you. Um, grade 12. Huh. Where were you in life? Mentally? <sighs> emotionally? Because that a lot of, you know, it gets a big year for a lot of kids. You're making that transition out of high school.
1: The summer of grade 11 to grade 12 would end up being a monumental change in my life. I ended up being invited as a small delegation of three to represent Canada and an international what they called it, a contact camp which was a strange thing to call it But it was an international gathering of 29 nations at an accessible camp in the mountains of Norway for two weeks. And there wasn't a single caregiver anywhere on the camp. Just me, the armless guy from Canada, my personal helper, who was an 18-year-old from Regina, Saskatchewan, who was going into the caring professions, and our group leader, and it was all sponsored by Red Cross. Red Cross also helped make this camp accessible. It was the first ever completely accessible handicapped camp in the world, and it was owned by the King of Norway. Wow. His nephew had been injured in a horse riding accident and ended up in a wheelchair and realized his nephew couldn't go anywhere. So he built this camp, but he built it not for his nephew, but for the world to use. So that was the template. If you came to this camp as a delegation, you had to have at least one handicapped person in your group. So there were about 145 of us from all these different countries. There were no caregivers, so everyone had to take care of each other. But more important was I was now, it wasn't about Norway. It wasn't about being away from Yorkton, Saskatchewan, per se. It was about being in the middle of 130-some people from around the planet and realizing that you weren't different, right. that you had so much in common. Yeah. But that these people were so not intrigued by me as much as the respect I got. And it was so different. I thought, what are you guys doing respecting me? You don't even know me. You've never met me. And as a consequence of two weeks of constantly thinking about what was I learning, I realized I was making a dire mistake. And that was I had so much I could give my own school. Right. And so much I could give my own community. And that's what I figured when I learned that from being at this international gathering, I was going to make my grade 12 year the best ever. My marks went from a... 56 average in grade 11 to a 84 average in grade 12. My friendship index. I started having friends I never knew I had. Started going to social gatherings, you know parties that that were in parents were there. It, was, it wasn't you know sneaking out in the back alley getting loaded. It was hanging out with really good natured people that allowed me to recognize at least one year of my high school life was truly magnanimous. Was that
0: like a overnight flip? or was Overnight it like flip. You just decided?
1: On the plane ride home from Norway through London through back to Regina and then home to Yorkton. I knew I'd learned something monumental in my life. And that was not only how proud I was to have no arms and be the Alvin Law that I am, but here was the kicker. How proud I was to be Canadian.
0: Yeah. And you, you saw that from going outside. Totally. Yeah. There's a great quote I heard that says, if you want to cure racism in the world or bigotry, travel. Yeah. You know, you see other people, cultures, appreciate who you are, where you're from, and where others are from, other people's stories.
1: Well, there's a reason why Canada has this theoretical relationship with the world. We're supposed to be these nice folks. Let's not lose that, okay? Yeah. We don't have to become America-lite. No, we do not. Right? And, and I don't, that wasn't a derogatory comment on America. I was just saying that we're, we have a lot in this country that we don't recognize when we talk about the pride of being Canadian, when mm-hmm. we talk about everything this fabric of this nation represents, why it's so popular, why immigrants want to come here. Well, it's not an accident. It's a good place. It's a great place.
0: Um, so let's go to Mount Royal. Yeah. Broadcasting.
1: So I was writing something for my blog not too long ago that reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about in years. Yeah. Every monumental step of my life that happened when other monumental steps happen in people's lives, their first day of school, their graduation from high school, their first day, be it at a college or a technical institute, hopefully it's some kind of school, their first day on a job, their first day being married or in a relationship. All these first days, people take for granted. We, we get to go to school. We don't ever think about how much it takes for someone like a guy with no arms to get to go to a regular school. That was the same at Mount Royal. Mount Royal had never had a disabled student in broadcasting ever and I was their first. And not only was I disabled, I wasn't conveniently in a wheelchair where they could just put a ramp into the studio. They're looking at my feet going, you know you realize you have to audio edit audio tapes with a razor blade, reel-to-reels. Yeah, You have to be able to hold a camera and take pictures. You have to be able to hold a microphone and do interviews. You have to be able to put an album on. You have to be able to do all these things with your... F- How are you going to do that? So I didn't even end up explaining it. It's a wonderful story. They saw me having lunch in the cafeteria by myself, getting my food and everything. And the, the, the dean, who was actually the final final decision on this, was being badgered, I said, you can't let this kid in, you can't let this kid in, how's he going to be able to do it? Well, they saw me having lunch, and they went, no, oh, that's the answer, he's already learned to take care yeah. of this, why can't he take care of the rest? That was another example, though, where this was a different mindset, though. Yeah. See, going into Mount Royal, every day, I got up out of bed excited, because I realized how lucky I was to get to go to college. Right. Not everybody gets to do that.
0: And you were uh, just a, a, a rock DJ? I was DJ. a rock
1: DJ at an FM station playing vinyl FM album rock.
0: Oh man, So you miss it? Would you go? Oh, back I miss.
1: I totally miss it.
0: Would you, would you? Would you? I might. I might
1: do that after I, I. decide that I don't want to be on the road anymore. But
0: not a rock DJ. But like maybe maybe a, uh, would you do a one uh, to talk a talk I show? I might do
1: talk shows. Yeah. yeah, I might do that.
0: Alvin in the afternoon. Yeah, something. I love it. Um, okay, so now you're, you're you're doing. This is what I, oh, I love too. You, you you do corporate work. Yeah. You work with adults. Yeah. Who I find very scary. Yeah. Uh, you work with. They young scary. people. They are terrifying. <laughs> Speakers who work only with corporate groups think kids are the worst, terrifying, worst audiences, don't want to do it, right? People who work with youth think adults are terrifying. Yeah. It's hard to do both. You do both. Yeah. And I remember once you told me that you, you, you will always work with youth yeah. because it fills your soul.
1: Yes, it does, still. Today I'm full.
0: Yeah, so what, what is that difference? Why is it? Young you?
1: people haven't become cynical yet.
0: Is that, you know, with Parkland, you see those kids down there oh. in the States doing that stuff, I mean, how do you feel about that? Does that give you hope?
1: Well, Beyond the, it's a what bit happened. too cliche for some people that are going to hear this, but I believe in them completely. I don't think we're allowed to think this way. I don't think it's healthy to think this way, the what ifs. Mm-hmm. What if? What if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? What if I grew up in this era? Well, I'm not growing up in this era, but I'm, I've been witness to the changes since I was young. You know, there's a couple that I know that are mixed race. I never even thought about it. They owned the Chinese food restaurant in Yorkton. Everybody's got a Chinese food restaurant, right? Small town Canada. And I knew the Mark family very well. In fact, I got to know the Mark family even better when their son uh, was one of the first people to be paralyzed in a hockey accident on the ice in Saskatchewan. Um, And what's really fascinating is I know them to this day because they also have a cottage at our lake where we go in the summers. And, uh, and this couple, I'd kind of known anecdotally, you know, growing up in Yorkton, but it wasn't until just a couple of summers ago that we were sitting around on a deck, because we'd like to sit on decks out at the lake, and uh, we're just sort of Willie and Angie and Darlene and I and another couple of couples are sitting around, and Angie starts telling me a story about how she met me when I was a newborn in the Yorkton hospital as a homeless child, because none of the nurses wanted to hold me, because they were scared of me and what I might represent. So here's a woman that I've gotten to know anecdotally over all these years and how I became familiar with them because of their great food and I got more familiar with them when their son became paralyzed but I'd never heard this story in my life. Why I'm telling you it now is it led to a whole other discussion because what she said was you know a lot of people they had a real hard time with a white woman marrying a Chinese man in Yorkton, Saskatchewan in the sixties they really did Different time, and it was hard for them hard for them to, to to put up with the mimics but Angie told me that night and it made me cry and I might even cry now if I'm not careful she said you taught me in, an, in a nursery in the Yorkton hospital that the outside has nothing to do with the love of a human being mm. wow. but just let that sink in for a second and what that represented when I heard what I did for somebody and I didn't do anything I was a, I was a, a five day old infant But I was already teaching people about compassion, teaching people about empathy, but more than anything, teaching people about how to look at Mm themselves. That's all this has ever been about. And if I can do it for youth, then they can alter their behavior so they can make themselves better people. If I'm doing it with adults, I'm simply reminding them of what they used to believe in. Right, right. Because it's always there. We don't, you know, I'm going to be honest about this. I think a lot of times people think motivational speakers are just used car salesmen and I'll I'll acknowledge that fine think that way if you like and some are some are yeah some are
0: some hard but I
1: can tell you that what I do this for is got nothing to do with that is it ego absolutely we've all got ego Mm -hmm. to get up on stage and do this every day is yes an exercise in ego but it is coming from the most authentic part of my life that I just am so blessed to be able to do what I do do you ever get tired oh all the time
0: like do you ever like just want to throw the mic in
1: when Parkland in Florida happened That was a particularly hard day for me. It was a hard day for anybody. I can imagine it was a hard day for the people that lost their kids to a a, a gunshot. But it wasn't about the violence. It was about seeing another signal that people could very well lose faith. That's why I was all on top of this about when the kids protested. Mm -hmm. That's why I was on top of this when every one of them said, you know what, we've got to do something about this. I'm not sure if Canadians understand completely what a big deal it is to take on the NRA
0: yeah to it, take they on don't, the government they, they just don't
1: know. no we and think oh anybody, that's what we do up here yeah, yeah no we're not up here we're down there yeah
0: yeah <laughs> it's completely different we will have do not comparable we don't have a lobby group in this country that powerful no
1: nope.
0: and uh, in many countries in the world there's nothing like it yeah not just Canada.
1: so it's why I continue you know I could have got out of schools completely that, that was a business choice I could have done that a long time ago yeah. I mean I'm not independently wealthy but you know we're doing good it's just I don't do it also because I'm taking advantage of the kids to feed my ego Mm-hmm. You know, to be in this mix at this conference, for example, I said it already, is an honor more than words can put into to, to action. But to be quite frank with you, it's it's about going back to my hotel room tonight and knowing that I've at least done something with my day that gave something to the world rather than took something from it.
0: It's a huge thing, it's a huge opportunity, right? Um, so Alvin, you're, you're so now we're, like, where are you in your world now? What what do you? What do you want to do
1: now? Well, you know, everyone says, hey, buddy, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm 57, so I've got a whole whack of people my age. I retired. Yeah, speaking. okay, well, yeah, yeah, well.
0: And I'm, I'm way... Yeah, and still, I'm you're, not, and
1: you're not doing anything else with your time, are you? Jesus. <laughs> Here's a guy who was never going to be up and about this. I know this is your podcast, and you can edit this out. You probably will. Um, you didn't quit speaking. You just changed your focus of changing lives.
0: I, I got behind the stage yeah whatever yeah.
1: you're making a huge difference man and I'm not saying that just to be nice to you but I think what's the bottom line is there's no retiring from speaking in my case I mean I'm sure there will come a day when I won't want to be up there anymore but then you know what who knows I mean I, I'm only 57 and in, in, I say I'm 57 in an aged way because I feel it on occasion uh, also 57 in a young way mm-hmm. you know in that I still feel really good I still enjoy what I do I never ever have to work at getting up on that stage um, Part of it, again, is because I love what I get to do. Mm-hmm. But let's remember one of the most important things that your audience needs to hear. I've always been an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I got up on stage when I was three years old and sang You Are My Sunshine at a Legion wedding, at, the, at a wedding at the Legion Hall in Yorkton. And my mom kind of watched this, and she came up on stage and tried to get me off the stage. And everybody told her to leave them alone. And they wanted me to sing one more. So I sang uh, Jesus Loves Me. And they wanted me to do one more. And I didn't have another one. So I just sang You Are My Sunshine again. And the audience went nuts. And Awkward. I thought, I like this. Yeah. It's a good feeling, right? <laughs> it is a good feeling. It is a good feeling.
0: You know, it's, it's not good when it doesn't go well. But it's great when it yeah. goes well. Like yeah. that thing. So, yeah. So you're going to keep doing this.
1: Yeah, I, my biggest thing I've ha- I got as a goal that I haven't completed, which is the worst nemesis in my life, it seems, is my book. Right. I've got my first book, which is fine, but I keep getting, where's your next one? Uh, I'm trying to write it. Yeah. You know what I think it is? Honestly, honestly, Stu, I think what has been happening is the human side of me has been feeling the effects of what's been going on on our planet for the last five years. Um, Donald Trump, not to talk politics, honestly, I'm not bringing this up for that reason, What Donald Trump represented for me as a decision was a country that I love. I love America. I love working in America. I'm not trying to trash America. I work there all the time. But as an American culture, what I noticed was they were, they didn't learn their lesson from how great a President Obama could have been. You know, we we, we kind of overplayed it and then we downplayed the idea of a black president. Uh, I didn't see the black president thing as much as many people see, because that's just how I see things. But Obama was an opportunity to heal a lot of wounds. But instead what he did was he created a lot of divides without even knowing that he was doing it. Just
0: by being who he was. Yeah.
1: And people just didn't like him. So when Trump came into the seat, and I'm not making this personal, I don't know the man, but what I'm worried about what he's done is he's made every single American make it about themselves. That doesn't work for me. You can't make it about yourself. It's actually a simple exercise in physics. If every human being is simply focused on themselves, the world will end up falling in, apart. It'll, it will. It, it's just inevitable. So that's why I think we need to keep on reminding even Americans that it's not just about your rights, your privileges, but about your place on planet Earth. Because our, our planet has shrunk. Mm-hmm. But what scares me is we're, every day we hear another piece of bad news, another piece of bad news. Um, I learned a real neat trick. I'm recommending this to my audience. Okay. Turn off the news. Turn it off. Turn it off. You'll find out what's going on sooner or later. Right. But definitely don't start your day with it. That's yeah. the worst thing people do. I used to do that all the time.
0: Yeah, I've uh, heard don't end your day, especially don't fall asleep. No, nope, either one. Like the last thing you look Why at. Why do you think we need like to put. 11 it. o'clock at news. Yeah. You know, it was like that's most people would, would, would fall asleep, 11 o'clock at news and go to bed with all that horrible news. And then they go to sleep and that's, what, that's in their brain. That's the last thing they think of. They people, have, yeah.
1: people have heard me trash devices because yeah. they think I'm anti-technology. I mean, that's the last thing I am. Trust me, I love technology. But when you don't have any arms, you can't hold on to your phone. So you got to make a plan to use it. And therefore, my habits with my phone are very, very old school. I've got the latest device. I've got hands-free. Ha, ha, ha. But you know what? I don't need to check it every five minutes because I'm not addicted to it. I can't walk around looking at it. I can't put it in my back pocket. I can't be constantly pulling it out, seeing how things are going. That changes your habits. I certainly don't look at it when I go to bed. I, I just don't. I, there's nothing on there that's that important. that can't wait till the next day. Yeah. You, don't I, work, you
0: don't work for NASA. Though.
1: Oh, God, no. And, I'm, and I don't have my button, finger on the button. Well, no. that's funny. No, it's not. Anyway, I think what's oh, even interesting. more interesting is, you know what? <laughs> Start your day out with this. Here's my piece of advice. All right. You don't have to have it on your TV, although I have it on my cable selection package on my dish. Start your day with the comedy network. Oh, Just whatever it is, something funny, a stand-up comedian, the radio station that plays stand-up comedy, look it up online, look up a stand-up thing you like, start your day with a giggle. I swear you won't believe how much it changes everything about your life. If you're in your car stuck in traffic, listen to something uplifting. You know what? What did we used to do? I don't know what you used to do. I used to love driving around in my Hornet Sportabout station wagon with my bad Radio Shack stereo, listening to rock music and singing at the top of my lungs and not caring how stupid I look because I already looked stupid in the first place. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, where's his arms?
1: Just celebrate every moment you have an opportunity to give yourself a positive fix of energy because there's too many good things out there.
0: If you could uh, send a a text out, speaking of technology. Yeah, yeah. uh, To to everyone in the whole wide world. Yeah. One text, one sentence, and everyone gets it at the exact same time. What does it say?
1: Have hope, have faith, and love each other.
0: Awesome. Who inspires you?
1: You know, that's a good question. Um, I can't think of anybody today that sticks out in my mind because the list has become too big. I mean, you're one of my inspirations. Look what you've been through. I know you don't talk about it, but it's, it's true. Wow. And, and, and what you do for kids and what you're doing for this event, um, people that I respect in the speaking business that are here at this event, people that I share my life with in Calgary, my wife, Darlene, clearly always an inspiration. But I always seem to go back to my parents, not because that's the most convenient and uh, you know, nice boy thing to do, but because they literally changed the entire dynamics of my future by their belief in me. True. Sure. 100%. They'll always be my biggest inspiration.
0: Alvin, you have inspired me. I love for you, 30 man. 30 years, man. 30 years. Yeah. Actually, it's actually 32 That's crazy. Years. How long have you been doing this?
1: Since, well, I, I, I came to you when probably would have been about 85, 86. Yeah,
0: yeah. and that's yeah. when you started?
1: Well, 85 was the first ever student leadership conference, C-Slick, yeah. you call it, yeah. in, in York, Yorkton. And that's where I lived. So yeah. I spoke there. And that's how I got to be known. And then I came to Beale yeah. because they were having the Nationals the following year in 86. Yeah.
0: And then you came to Laurier. And then I came to Laurier. Yeah, which is my old high school. That would
1: have been when it was.
0: Yeah, keep doing it. Keep doing you it. You too, man. Fist bump. Fist bump. All Love right. you, man. Thanks, buddy.
1: Rolls down between your toes and you got to... Yep lick your toes off. Yeah, this is really a time for video, huh? Yeah. Uh, you gotta lick your toes off when you're done. Well, let's just show. See? Mm. And that is one of my favorite speaking moments because the audience at that moment always goes, "Oh!"